Welcome to Suspending the Rules, Bloomberg Government's weekly look at what's happening in Congress. The 2020 election is still more than a year away, but eyes are already turning toward next year and not just on the presidential campaign trail. Welcome to a special edition of Suspending the Rules from Bloomberg Government. I'm Adam Taylor. And I'm Danielle Parnas. Next week, voters in two North Carolina districts will go to the polls in special elections for vacant House seats, and those results could have broader implications for 2020. Joining us in the studio to explain those dynamics is of campaigns and elections reporter Greg Giroux. Hello. And on the phone is Andrew Ballard, a staff correspondent based in Raleigh. Hello, everyone. Before we get to the topic at hand, I want to make sure listeners know about some of the special episodes we've posted during Congress's summer recess. We have an outstanding documentary episode on driverless cars from our colleagues Sarah Babbage and Sean Courtney, and there are interviews with internet stakeholders about their Section 230 liability shield from Rebecca Kern. Find those episodes in the podcast feed where you're listening to this episode. Let's get into uh, the North Carolina elections. So there are two districts voting next week, as we mentioned, the 3rd and the 9th. The 9th district is what we'll be focusing on today, as it's seen as a potential bellwether for 2020. Greg, this is a district President Trump carried by double digits in 2016. Why is it such a big focus for both parties? Well, special elections like the one Tuesday in North Carolina's 9th district, this is a Republican area that includes metropolitan Charlotte and extends east past Fayetteville, hugging the South Carolina border. Elections like that can attract outsized attention because of their atypical timing. They also give the political parties opportunities to test campaign messages ahead of the next nationwide vote. Uh, This election has attracted enormous attention and enormous campaign spending, not only by the candidates, but also by outside groups because it's very close and because it's a highly unusual do-over of a 2018 election that was voided because of absentee ballot uh, fraud. Uh, Democratic groups are promoting their candidate, Dan McCready. He's a solar energy businessman, a Marine Corps veteran, uh, because they see a golden opportunity to steal a Republican-held seat. And Republican groups aiding their candidate, State Senator Dan Bishop, are spending big uh, to stave off a disastrous defeat, or what would be a disastrous defeat, in a district that, as you mentioned, President Trump won by more than 10 percentage points. And the fact that the president and the vice president are coming to the district the day before the election only intensifies the national spotlight on this race and really raises the stakes. So is, is it fair to say Republicans are kind of viewing this as a potential canary in the coal mine? We know it was very close in the original election 2018 that was voided. If they lose this, are Republicans in panic mode for the, the broader congressional election in 2020? It would be a setback and probably a, it would probably uh, not work not be very good for morale for the party if they lost this seat, a seat that really should be an easy retention. Um, it would be an embarrassment to the party and to the president, uh, who's really putting his reputation on the line by campaigning in the district, as I mentioned, the day before the election. He has campaigned for uh, Bishop of Four in uh, mid-July uh, when he came to, to uh, Greenville. What the election on Tuesday presages is hard to say. You know, the predictive power of special elections is mixed. And there's a lot we don't know, obviously, about the next election coming, which is still 14 months away. But a Democratic win surely would hurt Republican morale at a time when they're trying to climb back and try and win back the majority after their uh, disastrous 2018 election. But even a narrow Republican win in this district, which is also very possible, just would underscore, I think, that there's going to be a big fight for control of Congress in the 2020 election. Andrew, can you tell us a little bit about how this race is playing out on the ground there in North Carolina? 
Sure, yes, but uh, first if I could just add to the, um, the, the issue of the testing ground. The geographic structure of the district also makes it a good testing ground because uh, it has an urban section in South Charlotte, suburbs in Union County, uh, rural stretches, has Fayetteville and military base, so it has a geographical range of, of territory and voters that give you the ability to test all those kinds of voters. Right now, early voting is underway and continues uh, through this week, and it's hard to evaluate the turnout rate in, because it's such an unusually timed election. Uh, so far, though, it seems to be a decent voter participation in a non-election year that's being held in September. Uh, so the spending and attention that Craig talked about might be helping. Uh, as of yesterday, about 9.2% of the registered voters had already cast their ballots in the 9th District, and that's nearly twice the 4.8% uh, participation rate in the 3rd District so far. Um, of the voters, 41% of the votes have been cast by registered Democrats, 31% by registered Republicans. Now, a, a pretty healthy uh, amount, 28% of those voting so far are unaffiliated voters. Democrats do usually need to build a decent buffer in early votes to overcome what usually is a superior turnout uh, on Election Day by Republicans. Those numbers also, it's way too early to make any sort of predictions on what's expected to be a close race. Just to jump in real quickly, I know you guys are also, I'm sure, watching the hurricane very closely. And, um, you know, Dorian, as it's projected to make its way up the coast, has that, um, are people seeing that as affecting early voting turnout at all? Well, it's certainly both the uh, State Board of Elections and the candidates have urged voters to turn out, uh, you know, to make sure there are, it could, it could uh, not only or the power and flooding issues, I mean, it's more of an issue probably in the third district on the coast, but it is an issue in the ninth still uncertain exactly where this is going to show up. So yes, uh, both uh, everybody's pushing voters to get out early so um, they can cast their ballot. In the end, uh, the turnout is going to make a difference, particularly in the uh, how the independent voters cast their ballots. So Dan Bishop is running with a heavy embrace from from President Trump, while Dan McCready is, is running as a moderate. Bishop's trying to portray him, and, and, and President Trump said McCready was cozying up to the socialist wing of the Democratic Party. How are those messages playing down in the district? Well, it's as you know, it's uh, the the district has is a heavily GOP uh, leaning district. Um, they have voted for Trump and double President Trump in double digits during the presidential election, and so Dan Bishop has linked himself to the president and is running with that support. He's not running away from from that. Uh, Bishop's final ad does feature an endorsement by President Trump, and the president also plans to hold a rally for the candidate in Fayetteville the night before the election. The vice president, Mrs. Pence, Donald Trump Jr., they've all stumped for Bishop as well. And as you said, he's tried to link uh, McCready to the far left of the Democratic Party, uh, including his famous liberal clowns ad that he ran early in the campaign. Meanwhile, McCready's trying to take basically the approach he took in 2018, which is stressing his small business and military background, along with his moderate positions, uh, his desire to move beyond polarized partisanship, and uh, in some of his messages also focused on health care issues, which have played well uh, with the uh, general electorate in recent elections. I think it's worth going into the reason we're having this special election. Greg, you alluded to it earlier. Uh, Republican Mark Harris appeared to win the seat in November 2018 by less than 1,000 votes, but the result was thrown out after evidence of ballot fraud by one of Harris's consultants came to light. Tell us that story. 
Yeah, so in the 2018 election, when the votes came in, uh, Mark Harris, who was the Republican nominee, as you mentioned, in 2018, appeared to lead uh, Dan McCready, the nominee in the special election, uh, by 905 votes out of 283,000 cast. So a very tight margin, about four-tenths of one percentage point. But the state elections board became aware of some irregular vote totals and some of the absentee vote totals in a couple of the district's more rural counties. And they heard they they held an investigation. They heard testimony for four days and they determined that a consultant uh, working for Harris had led a, uh, you know, uh, had, at least they uncovered evidence that he had led a uh, you know, potentially illegal vote harvesting absentee ballot scheme. So they declined to certify the 2018 general election. And uh, even Mark Harris, the Republican on- nominee, said that he didn't have any, uh, that he had, the public shouldn't have confidence in the vote return, that he was okay with a, a new election ordered. And that's what the state elections board did. They ordered a new election, a highly unusual outcome of this, uh, of this election. Andrew, uh, we know that there's a state legislation to address this as well. What's going on there? The legislature is moving a bill. It's almost uh, it's almost made it all the way through, so we're expecting something to uh, appear. Both the Senate and the House have passed a version of Senate Bill 683, and it's aimed to stop that uh, those absentee ballot issues in the future. It would impose additional requirements on mail-in ballots and uh, increase penalties, including uh, making a new felony penalty for tampering. The lawmakers just have to work out a few differences in their versions, so some form of measure is likely to be enacted this year. Also, uh, on the night, there's still ongoing investigations and court hearings over last year's issues, continuing at right now as we speak. So, um, and you know, just to go back to the bigger picture, Greg, that we started with about this special election as a potential bellwether, how, how has that played out in previous special elections? I know there were several leading up to 2018. Were they, you know, did they help predict, you know, sort of the outcomes there or were some of them just anomalies? Uh, some of them are, have predictive power. Some of them do not. I think, you know, we look at past special elections. You know, I remember uh, going all the way back to 1994 when Republicans uh, had a big sweep and won the elections that year. There were a couple of special elections where Republicans flipped Democratic seats. That was in spring of the election year, so it was a lot closer to the election. Uh, more recently, I think about Democrat Connor Lamb's victory in a big special election in uh, early 2018, also closer to the general November election. We're still 14 months away for the next nationwide election, but clearly a win by Democrat Dan McCready would be a body blow, an early body blow, but a body blow nonetheless uh, to Republican morale and to Republican hopes to reclaim the majority that they lost in 2018. Are there any other special elections coming up between now and next November that we should be keeping an eye on? I am keeping one eye on the special election also on September the 10th in North Carolina's third district. It's not, it's nowhere near as competitive, I think, as the ninth district race, but we will have a new member of Congress there. But it's a very Republican district on the coast, as Andrew mentioned. Uh, Trump won that district by more than 20 points. Um, The next special election will be probably late this year, early next year in Wisconsin's 7th District. That's a pretty heavily Republican area of Wisconsin, though. But, you know, what typically happens in special elections is the president's party tends to underperform in special elections. Like, for example, in North Carolina's 9th District, it's what's going to happen, it's either going to be a Dan McCready narrow win or a narrow win by Dan Bishop. But it's if Dan Bishop happens to win, it's going to be by much smaller margin than President Trump won the district. So you always want to keep an eye on special elections wherever they're held, uh, just because of some political tea leaves you can read, and for the fact that uh, you know, the president's party tends to struggle in those elections. Greg Giroux is Bloomberg government's campaigns and elections reporter, and Andrew Ballard is a staff correspondent based in Raleigh. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you all. 
Thank you. That's it for this episode. Again, please do check out our recess episodes from the last month in your podcast feed. We'll be back next week with your regularly scheduled episode of Suspending the Rules. Thank you for listening to Suspending the Rules. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Find more on the subjects we discussed today and a whole lot more from Bloomberg Government at about.begov.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at BGov. The legislative analyst team is Sarah Babbage, Noreen Chowdhury, Danielle Parnas, Michael Smallberg, and me, Adam Taylor. Our editor is Adam Shank. Nico Anzalata is our sound engineer. Our theme music is Home Organ by Zach Nasita. More information on that can be found at premiumbeat.com. You probably have a lot of questions about the environment. Well, so do we. Are we talking like radioactive chemicals? Is this becoming sort of irrelevant if the U.S. doesn't participate in this? What's going on here? How far did the Trump administration go? And Is mining really better down where it's wetter? Climate change, chemicals, water pollution, you name it. If it's in the environment, we're talking about it. Listen to Bloomberg Environment's official podcast, Parts Per Billion, wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, get up-to-the-minute reporting at our website, news.bloombergenvironment.com.